Mac Power Users, episode 509, Brent Simmons, Man of Many Hats. Welcome to the Mac Power Users. This is David Sparks, joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm great, David. How are you? I'm great, and we've got a guest on the show today that's been on my MPU bucket list literally since the beginning. Welcome to the show, Brent Simmons. Hey, good to talk to you guys. Brent uh, made one of my favorite apps, NetNewsWire, back in the day, right? Oh, yeah. Which is not back in the day anymore. We're going to talk about that at some point. <laughs> it's back. One day today will but, be referred to as back in the day, right? Well, yeah, there you go. I guess it's all relative, yes. isn't it? <laughs> but it's got this got philosophical quick. Oh man, we, we don't mess around here on MPU. But but Brent uh is really one of the most gifted Mac developers. I mean, that's the way I was introduced to you, like buying your apps and and hearing you and, and reading the stuff you used to write on your blog about this stuff. But then you kind of did a career transition at one point, and you're doing a lot of marketing and, and things like that for the Omni Group these days. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Omni Group is sometimes a sponsor of the show. They had nothing to do with this. You know, we reached out to Brent separately. This isn't an Omni ad, the show. Uh, but it is uh, it is interesting how someone with so you know so such a talented programmer but you've done this career change and i want to hear about that and and how you're pulling that off with your mac hardware today and to go full circle net newswire is back in the world again so we want to talk about that at some point too awesome a few uh, bits of introduction next week is the annual mpu gift guide episode you know thanksgiving is about here it's time to make christmas lists and holiday lists for our friends and family Maybe time to buy a few things for the nerds in your family. We have a thread going over at the forum at talk.macpowerusers.com. If there's some category you think we must cover or something that we've missed, let us know so we can get it into the gift guide. Uh, any other announcements, Stephen? I think that's the big one. I cannot believe the holidays are here, just about. That's very upsetting, but it's <laughs> how it goes. You know, time well, speeds up. I was just thinking it was about a year ago now that we made the big announcement that you were coming on the show. and. It's been wow, a great yeah. year, man. It has. Go team. Yeah, <laughs> it has. Brent, let's talk about your gear. What, what are you driving these days? Well, I have a number of things. I got my home things and I got my work things. So at work, I have a laptop from, I think, 2015. And it's hooked up to a 27-inch monitor. And that's, that's my, main, my main thing that I'm using most of the time at work. Also, I have a little side laptop that's kind of newer that i never touch why is that it has one of those keyboards the newer <laughs> keyboards and it's like you know it, it, every guest we have on the show the first in the first segment when we start talking about their stuff the keyboards come up i i hardly ever touch it at all um and now the s key doesn't work great and i like but even even if it still worked fine i just really did do not like the feel of it um the arrow keys in particular, just like, I cannot get used to it. Every developer hates the arrow keys and the escape key mm -hmm. on those key, on those keyboards. I, I am so looking forward to Apple replacing that keyboard. I, I do not enjoy banging on about their bad keyboard 
every guest episode of Mac Power Users. This is not something that I want to do with the show, but it just comes up. I mean, it's not something we're fishing for. Yeah, right. Um, this is not the anti-keyboard show after all. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, they, I saw some leaked images. I don't know if they're real or not of the new 16 inch one. That's that may be out by the time the show publishes for all we know. Um, but it looked like the arrow key layout returned to half size keys for left and right and a full size up and down. Would that be better for you or worse? I don't know. I'll have to try it. I mean, basically the arrow keys didn't change that much for many years and so my fingers know how they work and anything different from that is really a huge change right because you know you use those all the time or at least anyone who's writing code or text or whatever is using the arrow keys to navigate around yeah could you explain because a lot of the listeners are not developers obviously sure why why are developers so worked up about the escape key and the arrow keys for me, it's probably mostly the arrow keys um, more than the escape key. If you're navigating text and you're good at it and you know how it works on a Mac, um, you yeah. know to use the command key and shift key and whatever to be able to navigate, you know, yeah. by word. Option. Yeah. yeah, option. I, You know, I couldn't even tell you what the shortcuts are. I just use them all the time. Exactly. Right? It's like finger memory. Mm -hmm. you, you know them, but you couldn't tell me what they are. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I mean, you can even navigate inside a word if it's camel cased and all this stuff and and once yeah. you're good at that um you're using those arrow keys like all the time just to get around as part of like a you know a huge part of your day that you never have to think about but then when the arrow keys change and don't feel the same suddenly nothing is right you you can't navigate around text subconsciously it's it's constantly causing like little problems in your brain now the 15 inch does have the older arrow keys then uh yeah it does it's a uh, it's must be one of the last of the old-fashioned keyboards the that keyboard text situation i was like actually i've got a link in the show notes for people who aren't familiar with it but i'm the same way you are if someone if i was on a, some sort of game show and i could win a million dollars if i could tell people those shortcuts i couldn't do it without a keyboard in front of me because it's just wired into my fingers and that was Still one reason I prefer to do so much work on the Mac over iOS, because a lot of those keyboard shortcuts have come to the iPad over the years, but I just, on the Mac, I can zip around without even thinking about it. And that's way faster than moving my hand to the mouse or to touch the, the glass screen of an iPad. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Well, I hope that the new MacBook Pro comes out with a new keyboard technology I, I just want these days to be over, honestly. I'm tired of it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you got, you've got you got an old laptop that you use and a new laptop that that you can't press Command S on because the S key doesn't right. work. Can't save. <laughs> uh, can't. It's hard to do any blogging. It's hard. Yeah. It's just kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's, an, it's like an iTunes jukebox, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then, then all your email, if I get an email that says, best regards, Brent Emmon, I'll know that you <laughs> sent it on the, the new laptop. <laughs> um, now, I did just order, uh, just yesterday or the day before, uh, a new, um, I got the top of the line iPad Pro with keyboard and pencil. And so, and that's for work. So that should arrive, I think, tomorrow. So I'll finally start trying to become more of an iPad. Which size did you get? I got the biggest of the iPads and, you know, all the the extras, the keyboard and pencil to see if I could actually get some work done using it. And also because, you know, I want to use um, our Omni apps on, on the big iPad too. I should know 
better how, how those work and how those feel and so on. My other iPad is an iPad mini, uh, my personal iPad. And that's mainly oh, wow. used. It's like a small device that shows me things on Netflix. So that's a big, uh, a big jump in between those sizes. Have you spent much time with the 12.9 before? I've spent no time. It, it really is such a different experience. It's not for me. I prefer the 11, sort of that, that middle size. But that 12.9 really... Something in your brain, at least in my brain, sort of switches in front of that big iPad because the multitasking is so much better with the bigger screen, and it, it really feels more laptop-like than I think a lot of people would think. Mm. Well, that's good. That, that's essentially what I'm looking for. You know, something. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to sit it on my desk and use it basically like a laptop. Well, I think for your, you know, uh, marketing guru type tasks, mm -hmm. you're going to find that it works great. I mean, most of the apps you use are there and you're going to be fine. It's it's just like, you know, you're not going to do any Xcode there, but you know that going in. Right. And at work, I never launch Xcode. So, yeah. That that was kind of a, a transition for me because I, I use an iPad as a laptop. That's I don't have a laptop. Mm -hmm. My borrowed one was returned, by the way. So now I'm really laptopless. But I got thinking, well, what is the stuff I actually do? Like, there's some certain things that I do need a Mac for, like screencast production and podcast stuff. But I can do all of that on my on my big machine, you know, on my desk. But when I when I am out of office, you know, can I get by with iPad? And and I found that generally I can now. So I'm I'm I hope you uh, write up or or talk about this somewhere. I'd, I'd love to hear how that experiment goes for you. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the what the pain points are that that remain on the ipad um and i'll probably end up having to do some research to figure out you know how to deal with say um git right uh, a lot of our content at omni because we're are very much an engineering engineering organization you know we store stuff in git repositories rather than say using dropbox or whatever so you know how does that work on an ipad i'm used to just um doing all this via the terminal in on my mac so and that doesn't exist. So, yeah, we'll see. But I, I, I would imagine there's folks at Omni that have already solved that problem. There, there probably are, yeah. And, you know, getting yeah. answers to these kind of questions is probably not actually all that difficult. So, I work with one sort of project that everything's on GitHub. And uh, Working Copy is a really nice Git client for iOS. And it's got a text editor in there. And you can bring external files in through the Files app. It's really, uh, really spectacular. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that's probably what I'll end up looking at first. And that Working Copy developer is super with it on automation stuff. So if you want to do shortcuts or anything like that, I think that's probably the best app cool. for that as well. Um, but I, I do tell people when they ask me which size iPad you get, and I, I think it's like a mental thing. If you're looking at this thing to be a laptop replacement or something like a laptop, then the big one makes sense. But if you're going to carry a laptop around with you and an iPad, then the small one is, is the way to go. Sure. That's, that's kind of my feeling. I, don't, I think it's a good rule of thumb. I mean, everybody's different. Or uh, like me, I have both of them, <laughs> which is a uh, uh, an accident, but not such an accident, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that. <laughs> um, all right. So you've got the Mac. And then at home, are you using a laptop as well, or are you using a different Mac at home? Uh, so at home, I have um, a 2013 MacBook Air uh, that's really my 
like my personal laptop. And then I have a 2012 iMac that I use for development. Yeah, that that was my question. Where are you doing Net Newswire? So you're doing it on an iMac? Yeah, mostly on a, wow, well, I guess seven-year-old iMac by now. Yeah. Um, and I do little development on that Air also occasionally if I want to, you know, sit in the living room or something. But it's mostly done on the iMac. How does that 2012 iMac hold up to the uh, the tasks that you've got to do with it with Xcode and your other development work? Really just fine. Um, NetNewsWire is not a huge app, so it doesn't take forever to compile, for instance, even on an older machine. And, um, you know, I'm always, I kind of like using an older machine because I'm always very concerned with performance when I'm writing software. And if it performs well on a seven-year-old, iMac, then it's probably going to perform pretty well on, you know, most of the computers that are still in use. So yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's kind of not a bad thing. Though occasionally I do think, boy, I could get a new Mac Pro and <laughs> that newswire would compile instantly and, you know, but whatever. <laughs> it would be instantaneous. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Using an older machine like that, you know, we have a lot of listeners who hang on to machines for a long time. Honestly, if, if uh, you can get so such good life out of them, Apple supports old machines really well in versions of Mac OS. Um, but have you done anything uh, to that iMac in those seven years to to keep it running? I know a popular upgrade for a lot of people is to you know have it cracked open and put an SSD in it. Is, it, is that something that you've done or is it still stock the way it came? It's still stocked the way it came, but it was uh, a fusion drive. So there must okay. be some S- SSD-ness in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. It works great. And, you know, it's still on the uh, list of Macs that are getting OS upgrades. So I'm running Catalina on it now. And, um, yeah, I haven't had any reason to um, to crack it open, do surgery on it. It's, uh, it's always fun to do, you know. Uh, but it, it really is amazing. You know, I think Apple... It's kind of not really talked about that much, but it's true on the iOS side as well. I think they do a really good job at supporting those older machines where you can have a machine that is, you know, six, seven, eight years old, and you're still getting macOS updates. But let's just say hypothetically that Catalina is the last OS that iMac would run. I have no idea if that'll be true or not, but hypothetically, Apple then does security patches for their most uh, recent release minus one and you get safari for that release and and sometimes those security updates even further back so you really can buy a mac and i don't think it's out of the picture to get nine or ten years out of out useful life out of it as an everyday machine it's just it's it's amazing yeah you're not getting that anywhere else i don't think yeah and it's such a change from um the old days you know back in the 90s, I'd buy a new Mac every couple years, like three years at the most. Mm-hmm. And it would be such a huge jump forward. Uh, but today, a 2012 iMac is still great for writing an app like NetNewsWire and just about anything else I, I want to do. Yeah, we're not having the jumps and processing speed like we used to. Yeah. But um, it, it is interesting that, you know, the problem with current Macs and frankly, some of the iOS devices too is they get so old, they're still running, but you can't keep the operating software running with it. And and like Steven says, Apple does a good job. I mean, you're not going to find a seven or eight year old Dell running the most current version of Windows. But quite often, and I know several people in my life that have uh, Macs that just can't get the most recent software updates, but 
the people who have them are still perfectly happy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I, I equate it to something like the way I think of a refrigerator, you know, like most normal people think of a computer like a refrigerator, you run it and then one day it breaks and then you, you have the repair guy look at it and maybe you'll fix it if it's not that expensive or maybe you'll get a new refrigerator. And, uh, I'm not that way with computers. That's my, uh, it's my sickness, I guess. Mm -hmm. But the um, but most people think about it that way, and I think Apple does actually a really good job of of keeping the refrigerator people happy. Yeah, they do. And then you're on iPhone as well. Uh, yep. I have an. Did you get the new one? I have an iPhone 10. Um, All right. And it's at first I was super skeptical of the notch, and I still think the notch is a failure in a way. It yeah. you know it's like. But there wasn't another way out of it, so they just decided to own it. And like, okay, that makes sense. I get it. I look forward to a notchless future at some point. But the best thing was getting rid of the home button because the home button broke on every single iPhone that I've ever owned. Um, so not having that issue is really huge. And, and for me personally, it's the best thing about the, the newer iPhones. Yeah, well, S keys and home buttons, they, <laughs> they don't like you. No, no, I guess not. <laughs> Thankfully, you don't need them all that often, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I feel the same way. I mean, I I don't like the notch, but I got used to it very quickly. I don't even think about it anymore. Yeah, I I, I don't either. Yeah, it just it's just weird. But I yeah, I just don't think about it. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by One Password the tool that I use and trust to keep all of my passwords safe and secure across all of my devices, syncing seamlessly with the 1Password service. This means that if I need to log into Twitter on my iPhone, check a bank website on my iPad, or maybe log into something on my iMac Pro, all my passwords are with me, and they're safe and secure because 1Password is the best in the business. The team has worked hard to get 1Password ready for macOS Catalina. They have a new blog post over on their website, onepassword.com, uh, explaining a little bit about what they had to do to make sure 1Password really sings on the latest macOS. And that's one thing I love about 1Password. They're always on top of the newest technology. So that means that 1Password can unlock with Face ID on the iPhone and iPad. It means that it's ready to go for new macOS releases uh, every single year. And it means that I can trust them day in and day out. At FM, we use 1Password for Teams with several different vaults. So uh, Mike Hurley, my partner, and I, we share a set of passwords, but there's another vault that we use with our sales manager. So she has access to some accounts, but not everything. And we can divide things up how we need them. So I know that everyone has the ability to log in to whatever they need to, wherever they are. You can learn more at onepassword.com slash MPU. Sign up for a free 30-day trial Go check this out because it means that you'll have all your stuff wherever you are. Saving passwords on things like sticky notes attached to your computer, don't do that. You need something like 1Password to make sure that all your accounts are safe and secure. So once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU for a free 30-day trial. And when you sign up, you'll get 20% off. Head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU. Our thanks to 1Password for their continued support of the show. So Brent, I... I was surprised when I heard that you joined the Omni Group in the marketing department. When I first heard you went over there, I thought that you would be, you know, writing code for them. How, how did you land there? Let's see. I just passed my five-year mark at Omni, so I've been there a while now. Uh, wow. And, and yeah. at first, I was in engineering. Um, when I came on, I was working on Omni Focus for Mac. 
and then a little while later switched over to Omni Outliner. Worked on mostly the Mac version and a little bit on iOS. And so at about three and a half years in as an engineer, I switched over to marketing. And that was because one day uh, Ken and the marketing manager came into my office and asked me if I'd like to switch over to marketing. And I said, yes. (laughs) Um, And there's a little bit more to this story than that. Um, uh, I had already started doing the Omni Show podcast. Uh, So, so, and I was already uh, actually attending marketing meetings. So, you know, I was kind of, you know, helping out a little bit there. Uh, But then it turned out that the person who was doing my job wanted to move into front end web development and then somebody else wanted to do something else. And there was like a big like rotation, like three or four people suddenly just kind of rotated jobs one day. And that was cool. Now to a lot of people, me and marketing sounds like, like what? He's a programmer. How, how could he be doing this? But if, but as an in, independent developer of net newswire and some other things, you know, I've had to do marketing uh, for most of my career. Uh, yeah. And marketing, you know, at, at this level, it's not that much, you know, buying ads and doing campaigns. Um, it's writing for the blog, that kind of thing. You know, being online, being accessible, that kind of stuff. And so Omni needed that. Now we also do run ads and do sponsorships and do stuff that I've had to learn about. Um, but it was actually a pretty natural fit. Uh, and so my job, a lot of it is really content creation. It's, you know, writing the blog posts, uh, doing doing the podcast, writing tutorials, um, uh, notes for the app store, you know, just all kinds of stuff like that. Well, um, which is, you know, is up my alley as programming is. So, well, also I think it's nice once in a while to repot yourself into something else. Just, yeah. Just because life is, you know, as you go through life, sometimes you want to do something different once in a while. And it puts me in the wonderful position now of being, uh, an amateur programmer, which I actually, I actually really, really love that programming started off for me, you know, when I was like, 12 years old, just something I really enjoyed doing. It was, you know, I did it. Yeah. I worked on what I wanted to, and it was just for the fun and love of it. And now I'm, after, you know, decades of experience, back to where I can just do it because I love it and I can do what I want to do. And that's really, really cool. Yeah. And for the benefit of the Mac Power Users audience, it entirely changes your tool set. Yeah. Um, like, I'm guessing you're not doing a whole lot of marketing stuff in Xcode. That's right. Yeah. No. it's a terrible blog editor (laughs) all right so let's talk about that um i mean the types of work you're doing and the tools you're using to pull it off okay starting with i guess mail is that something that you do a lot of now i probably i'm guessing it is yeah there's a fair fair amount of email involved um it's probably not nearly as much as you think it is but we also have an online system called rt I guess. I don't know if that stands for something. Um, but any email sent to marketing at omnigroup.com, for instance, will go in there. And so I have, you know, this browser-based thing where I'm, you know, dealing with various types of inquiries and so on. Is that a third-party service or an internal tool? Yeah. That's, it's not one that we wrote. Yeah. Yeah. I use a similar thing with Basecamp where for the legal side, um, I, the client emails get funneled into like a, an online project. So everything gets kind of stored together mm-hmm. and you can manage them. Um, but is that, is that RT where you do the email or do you write the email in some other application? Um, 
So yeah, th this is email coming in. And then when I go to compose something, I usually just open the scratch pad and BB at it. All right. And then compose it there and then just paste it into the text field in, in my browser. Yep. Unless it's, you know, really a one or two sentence thing, then I'll just do it right there. In the That's the, the, the most important lesson of this entire show is never write text of any substance in the browser. Yeah, right. Don't do it. Yeah. I just, I just recently was doing something somewhere where like the pages randomly refreshed and I lost a bunch of text. I'm like, oh yeah, that's because I was dumb. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I did this <laughs> and I knew better. Yeah. Sometimes your brain is like, oh, well, just this one time it'll be fine. But it, no, yeah. no, it's, it won't be. <laughs> and then karma zaps you like a lightning bolt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, so BBS where you, I actually do that in drafts, but I do the exact same thing. I don't, I don't write in any way on the line based form, but now that drafts is on the Mac, I use that for it. And then, and then quite often for me, it goes through Grammarly too, before I send it. Cause my grammar isn't always the best. Um, uh, Steven, what about you? Where do you put that stuff before you put it in an online form? If I'm on the Mac, I'll use Byword, yeah. which is a little simple markdown editor. Oh, yeah. Great app. I mean, I, I Byword is basically always open and, you know, with a half-written blog post or like right now while we're recording, I'm just taking little edit notes. It's just sort of a scratch pad for me all the time. Now, BB Edit is a lot of programmers use BB Edit because it's just it's been around forever. You know, Rich Siegel is behind it and it's a very powerful app. They just had a really big update to that recently. And um, we covered it on Automators. If you're ever interested in regular expressions, BB Edit has all of the tools. And now they even teach you how to do it in the application. Um, do you use any of that stuff when you're writing words as opposed to code in BB Edit? I don't use regular expressions, no. Um, I'll confess I pretty much have never used regular expressions. And I've always been sure. just kind of afraid of them. Look like something, <laughs> they just don't look... It doesn't look like something you can count on to work exactly the same way every time, which is probably yeah. just what it looks like, you know, but, but I, yeah. I kind of fear that kind of, kind of stuff. Um, well, it's, it's really just the opposite and it does work all the time, but in order to do that, it looks like something that is scary. Yeah. Right. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, but BB Edit is a great app um, for so many other reasons. Uh, yeah. And one thing I love about it is, I mean, I do a lot of writing in Markdown and it does Markdown syntax coloring, but it doesn't try to do like, oh, we're going to make this thing here over in the gutter now. And this other thing is going to be large type bold and gray. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't like super transform your writing experience, which yeah. is, is really helpful to me Yeah, because sometimes those apps um, it can be wonderful if you're using them just like they expect you to. Other times they kind of are too smart and, and mess me up. Well, this is a little bit of overlap with what we talked about on automators, but one of my favorite BB edit tools is as a lawyer, sometimes I get on these cases where we've got boxes and boxes of documents that we need to search through. And so I'll have, when they scan it, I'll get one OCR file of the entire scan. And then BB edit, you can put, it seems like an infinite amount of text in BB edit and it never hangs up or crashes. It's the app that can handle, it seems like an infinite amount of text and then use a regular expression to search through it. And you can find the one instance of, you know, May blank, you know, 2016 and 
and it has the word kumquat, you know, within 30 words. You can you can do that with a regular expression. And everybody that I work with on the legal side is like, how did you find that? You know, and I never tell them, well, you know, it's just BB edit and a regular expression. <laughs> I let them think I read it all, you know. Right. But yeah. it, it is a, an amazing app. But but also there's just so many people that use it as their everyday text editor because it's it's heavy enough to do the thing I just described, but it's light enough to write a blog post in too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Or an email. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. So you, you don't have to deal with the whole what's the best mail app for me thing because you just do it in the web. Yeah. So a lot of my emails is on the web. But, um, you know, a fair amount's actually still in, in mail and I just use mail, you know, yeah. from Apple. And, you know, that's fine. I, um, I haven't done much to customize it or anything. Um, mainly I just archive stuff. There's a keyboard shortcut for that. And uh, I get down to inbox zero at least once a day. You're a better man than me. Yeah. I, if I have anything in my inbox, I can't make myself work on anything else. It's, it's I think, a personality deficiency that just happens to look like a virtue. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the other tools you use to get your work done? Oh, boy. Well, so obviously I use Omni apps. Uh, Omni Outliner, for instance, is uh, a huge thing. I do a lot of, uh, a lot of research, and that goes in Omni Outliner. I also keep a just a daily log of what I do every day. Um, so I could tell you for any random day um, what I actually did. I never find myself going back, but I could. <laughs> uh, um, could you ex- ex- explain how you make that? Oh, sure. So um, since it's an outliner, right, you have, um, yeah. you have you know, high-level things and sub-things and sub-things. Um, so like a high-level thing is a year, 2019. And then I'll have um, months under that. And then under that will be days. And then under each day, I just, you know, add a new, um, add a new entry for, you know, whatever I've done. Yeah. And you say, you use the word log in lieu of diary. So I, I'm guessing what I take from this is literally just a log. It's like from mm-hmm. this time, that time I was in a meeting on this problem. Right. And I, I don't, I don't actually record the times. I just kind of yeah. you know, record what I, what I did that day. Um, uh, so at work, we also use uh, an app called Omni Bug Zapper, which is entirely uh, internal and it's our bug tracking sure. system. So my log will sure. often just have links to, um, you know, like a little URL link into Omni Bug Zapper, you know, and then under that, I'll say, you know, I wrote the first draft and sent it, sent it around to the, you know, product managers or whatever, stuff like that. Uh, do, now, do you ever reference that or is it just, um, well, do you ever reference it? Uh, that log? Um, yeah. so do sometimes in the short term, like there might be, Oh, what was I working on Thursday? There was something about that. I needed to look, uh, maybe I don't remember the bug number, obviously, right. That's weird. Long numbers are hard to remember. So, you know, I'll go back a few days and then look up at that, look up that thing. Um, I also collect, uh, everyday mentions of, um, Omni and Omni products on the web. So in, in, in every day in the log, there'll be like a few links to, um, you know, blog posts or something. Someone's written about OmniFocus or whatever. So at the end of the week, I go yeah. through the week and just package those all up, categorize them, and send them out to people like Ken. So yeah, I do go back a little bit, but I don't usually have a need to go back. Like, oh, what was I doing? You know, July fourteenth, twenty eighteen. You know, yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't need to know that, but it's kind of nice to know it's there. You know, yeah, I think you're going to really like that with when you take on the iPad mm-hmm. lifestyle, you know, the, the syncing between the two, that'll yeah. be kind of nice. So you can remotely do that as well. Yeah. That'll be cool. So yeah, I use a 
ton of apps at work. Uh, Mattermost is um, is our internal chat app, and we use that because instead of Slack, for instance, because we can self-host it. Um, so there's a lot there. I use Mars Edit for blogging. Hi. Yeah. Can I can I ask on Mattermost, how does that compare to Slack? I mean, I know there's a lot of listeners that are interested in Slack but don't want to, you know, deal with putting all their data on the sure. Slack servers. Um I think Slack is Slack's a little slicker, maybe has uh, you know, more stuff you can do. Uh but Mattermost does have yeah. things like the most critical feature of all of course is the emoji reaction. Uh, and it, it has that. Right? Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, it works well and you can set up different rooms and they can be private or, or public. And yeah, it's, it's, it's Slack-like um, enough that if you just wanted something you can host yourself, you know, I, I'd say go for it. Yeah, I think there's a market for that kind of app now. I think because people are seeing the benefits of Slack, but not everybody wants to like jump on the Slack bandwagon. Well, and having something that you can host yourself I mean, it works for Omni Group, I'd imagine, because everyone there is is super nerdy. But there are, you know, companies and really whole categories of companies that have real like regulation around what they could have on a server they don't control, or have real security uh, concerns. And it's got to be nice to have alternatives for for those folks as well. Yeah, and that's worth worth remembering. A lot of a lot of categories of companies are highly regulated in those kind of ways. Or, or like certain fruit companies in Cupertino, highly mm-hmm. secretive. That's true. And they just don't want it on somebody else's mm-hmm. server. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That sort of thing is, is interesting because it's it's not something that like end consumers really see that much. Like if you're, I don't know, uh, I was in a Slack group for a bachelor party about a year ago, right? <laughs> like it's like, this is really casual and we just spun it up and, and did it. But uh, having these enterprise type things, I mean, that, that's a lot of the world runs on that stuff, you know? Yeah, things have to be auditable and all this stuff. Yeah, and no data can ever be destroyed. I mean, you know, depending on the regulations. But yeah, mm-hmm. at yeah, the bachelor party, we didn't really run into the uh, you Good. know the FCC uh, <laughs> regulations or anything. So. No, but there, there are regulations. <laughs> if anybody attending the bachelor party is married, there are definitely that's, that's a different laws that's and a regulations different type, in type thing. <laughs> different. <laughs> Uh, uh, what about browsers? You were you were telling me you've got uh, you've got two browsers. I think it was kind of funny how you said. Yeah, up your browsers. so I use Safari uh, most of the time for pretty much everything, except as you know, yeah. a big part of my work is doing social media stuff, and that does include Facebook. So we have a, a page on Facebook, and I have to you know post stuff there and answer questions and so on. And so I use Chrome just for Facebook to try and quarantine that. So that hopefully I don't end up with Facebook tracking me around on Safari. I don't know. It could be that, you know, it feels good, but doesn't actually have any effect. But uh, I try to get away from the nefarious effects of Facebook that way. I know so many Mac users that have a specific reason for Chrome, but like it's used for one thing. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I've never thought about it for a Facebook client because I'm largely off Facebook I kept my Facebook account, so we've still got the referral. So people who go into the um, the old Mac Power Users Facebook group, they can still see the post that says, no, 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 we, we moved it to something that's not on Facebook. Mm-hmm. But I think at this point, I can probably just shut that down. It's been long enough. Yeah, I got rid of my account years ago and, and haven't haven't really missed it. But uh, I do think it is interesting to use, to use Chrome to 
to sort of quarantine it, like you said. I know, I know people who have done that for, you know, Google Docs or Google Drive or like for me, I use Safari, but I keep Chrome around for a couple of tasks that I don't have to do real often, but the websites I have to use don't work super well in Safari and they, they behave well in Chrome. So if I open Chrome, I've got a handful of bookmarks of just things that mm. I need to use every once in a while and, you know, then come back to back to Safari. Yeah, I, I used to use it for Flash because Chrome had Flash baked in and I didn't want to install Flash in Safari. But I can't remember the last time I hit that roadblock where I was in a Safari site and it said you need a Flash. So I And even, and even now Chrome is getting rid of it. I mean, Flash is oh, is it? Yeah. pretty much gone, yeah. yeah. That's right. I do use it for if I want to stream MSNBC on my computer, that still uses Flash. So, yeah, I'll launch Chrome for that, too. Yeah. Oh, really? It's like the last thing. I mean, okay. obviously, they're going to have to stop using Flash, but since it's going away. Uh-huh. It, it always cracks me up because Disney uses Flash a lot with all their various stuff. And and the biggest shareholder in Disney for mm. the last few years of his life was Steve Jobs. And I, I still think it may be Laureen Jobs may still be the biggest shareholder. I don't know if that's still the case or not, but it's like it just cracked me up that yeah, this guy who ran Apple and mm-hmm. really started the end of Flash was on the board and hugely involved with this company that ran on Flash. I wonder if at that level they even talk about things like Flash. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Because they've got a lot of money to talk about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, to me, it would be I'd, I'd obsess on it, but then I would that's why I probably would never get to that level. Y'all remember that open letter Jobs wrote about Flash? It, it was I, I found it again. I remember it being absolutely brutal about you know there's five or six reasons that we're not gonna support this on our on our iPhone. Like uh, time to move on. Well, do you remember the guy who who went back after Steve from from Adobe? Well, there's uh, Kevin Lynch was a Flash. Yes, yes, it was Kevin the Lynch. Flash guy, and now he's uh, the Apple Watch. Yeah, you now know, he works it, for working Apple. on the Apple Watch. He's the guy that gets on stage every year to tell you why the Apple Watch is is, uh-huh. is better. Yep. Yeah. Hey, we all have things in our past that you know we move on from. <laughs> yeah. It just happens to be Flash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, back then, um, in writing that newswire, I, I would get crash logs um, that would automatically come to me, and semi-automatically, and a lot of them were cra- crashes in Flash. Uh, Flash was probably the single biggest cause of crashes in the app. And so I had reason to just despise it because any user doesn't yeah. know that it was flash. They just think that my app crashed and you know, they're right. 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 It did. Not my fault, but. You know. <laughs> but at the time everybody was so convinced that it was so embedded in the web that there was no right. way out of it. And you know what? That wasn't true. It went away. Good to remember. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by text expander. Text Expander is the text expansion app you need and so much more. Go to textexpander.com slash podcast and let them know you heard about it at Mac Power Users to get 20% off your first year. We talk about automation all the time on the Mac Power Users and Text Expander gives the easiest type of automation. Anybody listening to this ad can add Text Expander automation to their life. Think of anything you type repeatedly. Maybe it's your cell phone number or directions to your office. With Text Expander, you can save that as a snippet and then just trigger it with text anytime you need it. For instance, whenever I type WDIR, 
That gets me work directions. I can put that in an email when I have a client that needs to meet me at my office. But Text Expander has also all those really powerful Mac power user features like the ability to embed scripts, including Apple scripts, the ability to choose between plain text and rich text, and even the ability to add system information like the current date. I've talked on the show about my XDS text expander snippet that automatically puts in the current date. I use that thing so many times every day. And I just noticed in the forums that there was another listener talking about how often they use those date stamps out of text expander. You can unlock your productivity with text expander. And over on iOS, text expander also continues to evolve. It now has dark mode support. And they have text expander for teams to unify your organization's voice with shared snippets. You too can make everything you write repetitively available everywhere you type with Text Expander. Text Expander is available for Mac OS, Chrome, iPhone, iPad, and also folks over on the Windows side. So if you're working on a Windows desktop at work and a Mac at home, Text Expander's got you covered. And best of all, listeners get 20% off their first year. Just go to textexpander.com/podcast to learn more about Text Expander. And thank you Text Expander for all of your support of the Mac Power users. You know, something everybody, whether you've got a huge business or small business these days, needs to manage is social media. And, and now you're doing that with, with Omni Group. Tell me, share some wisdom with us on social media and how you're handling it. I guess I'm not sure which parts of my experience are wise or not. Um, Mistakes are good, too. We want to hear about those. <laughs> it helps us out. I, I use Twitterific on my Mac. And let's see. Right now, because it is open... Can count the windows one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I have ten different windows open, um, and that's just you know every day because there are that many different accounts that I have some access to or need to monitor. So um, that's a whole lot of Twitter stuff. Jeez, it's um, <laughs> a lot of Twitter. Yeah, it really is. Um, all, all those windows can't fit neatly tiled around the screen either. So my approach there is. To make sure that the company has like what I think of as a heartbeat. In other words, like every day we're we're putting something somewhere. And most of what I do goes through the Omni Group account on Twitter. And then the product accounts are run generally more by the various product managers. Uh, but I can I can still access those. And, and I think this the second really big thing there is just to make sure that we're always accessible. There's the old stereotype of the you know the developers in their in their ivory tower and you can't you know you can't talk to them you can't get help from them um, and so uh, the company tries to make sure that we are always easily reachable uh, via Twitter and, and other means too. Now sometimes it means we'll say hey please actually do email support but at least we were there to to respond to whatever someone's saying or asking. Or- that, that's a hard thing I think for the Omni Group because it's a it's a Small company, but it's a big company too. I mean, you guys make a lot of products. There's quite a few employees, but it's not Microsoft. Yeah, right. And it's like, how do you thread mm-hmm. that needle? Well, a lot of a lot of that, the social media part, a lot of that's me. But uh, a lot of it is Ken Case, right? Our, our CEO is very accessible, very active on Twitter. Um, and then our support folks are great at um, at handling stuff that comes into uh, the various product accounts and helping people out. Then the product managers are on it too. So, you know, it's it's um it's a team effort, and I think we do a pretty good job with it. Um, we could probably do more promotion that way, 
Um, but, you know, we're, we're ramping up there. We're getting better. What's the biggest challenge for you in this new role? Uh, the biggest challenge is probably that um, my background is really doing indie developer marketing, you know, like from the point of view where a place like Omni seems huge, even though it, it's it's not, it's under 100 people. It's it's not actually huge, but I'm used to, you know, marketing for me or maybe just a very small team. So what we have, but what we have now are things like sponsorships and campaigns and, um, you know, paying more attention to how we talk about the apps and branding and consistency and, you know, all kinds of all kinds of stuff to look at that I never really had to deal with before. So, you know, I'm learning all that stuff. Um, and, and other people are learning it too. And, um, you know, we're just trying to steadily improve at those things. I think there's also an aspect, and we run into this on the Relay FM side, where in the past, feedback would be relatively private. So someone would email you with an issue or a concern or, or whatever. But now it can just be on Twitter. And if they put the period in front of it, it's for all of their Twitter followers. And things can can be out in the open. And that gives people uh, a not only a boldness, maybe if they're on the the complaint side of things, but I think for those of us who are on the receiving end of that, you know, we have to remember that that anything that we put in the world could be seen by by anybody. And that just wasn't the case in the past. And so for me, it really makes me consider how I'm going to respond to somebody. And if, you know, they touched a nerve or they just caught me at a bad time, then I have had to learn that now is not the time to respond and respond, you know, <laughs> maybe more level-headed uh, a few hours down the road. Yeah, I totally see what you're talking about. And for some reason, I've always found that somewhat easy because I kind of like it when somebody comes in hot and then I, I can turn them around at least a little bit by being like uh -huh. a really nice um, person. <laughs> uh, I used to call it killing them with kindness. Um, but that actually, that's actually a good, good way to do it. And I would take pride in how well I was able to do that. And sometimes those people will then turn around so far that they'll become some of your biggest ambassadors too. And, you know, that's always great. Yeah. Uh, uh, Seth thing, I read one of the Seth Godin books that I really try to apply to my stuff that the, the field guides is whenever a customer has a small issue, I want to make it a big issue for me, you know, to, to resolve it as fast and as quickly as possible. Whereas if you treat a customer problem as a small issue, then it becomes a big issue for them. And that's not what you want. And, and I love how much, um, in general, our, our company uh, does really great support. We have a, we have a good sized yeah. team and we even do phone support, which is relatively rare, I think, for, for companies like this. So now that you're not spending your whole day in Xcode, what are the other tools you're using to get your, oh, your job that's done? good question. Let's see. It's, it, there's a lot of things. Uh, I use Mars Edit for blogging. Um, I also do sure. social media via micro.blog, uh, Manton Reese's thing. Um, for instance, yeah. every single day around 10 or 11 a.m., I post what we're going to have for lunch at Omni. <laughs> Just because, I mean, it's kind of a way for me to warm up for the day. And it goes back to that, like, that daily heartbeat thing. At least, at least I got one thing up on the web in a given day. And that might only just be what's for lunch, but at least it's something, right? Um, yeah. You should post it earlier so I know if I should try and catch a plane <laughs> and get a free lunch. For you, I'll just send you the <laughs> weekly menu. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, let's see. And of course, you know, 
use calendar like anybody else. You know, we've got meetings and so on to not miss. I use IA Writer kind of a bit. There are some things I like about how it handles uh, when you have like a folder and subfolders and, and stuff. And my writing is organized in that way. So I do use that a bit. I, I haven't used IA Writer in years. Now, how do you see that in comparison to BB Edit? It's different uh, for sure. And it, there are things about IA Writer that annoy me. Like it does try to do too much with the you know, markdown handling, but I think all of the apps do. So I like the way it handles when you have a folder and subfolders of stuff. For instance, um, you know, putting stuff that you most recently edited up at the top of the list so it's easy to find. That kind of thing is nice because I have I have folders and subfolders with a whole lot of text documents. You know, every blog post, every newsletter I've written, every post to the microblog about somebody's cat that I've written, it's all there. And it, it does make it easy to find stuff and get back to what I was working on. So that's nice. Have you played much with the Apple Notes app? I mean, because that's kind of what that does now too. Yeah, except that I do need some uh, markdown support. And I also like that iWriter has, you know, uh, yeah. I think it's Command R and you can see, you know, the HTML version of what you're working and And Notes just doesn't. Yeah, Apple, Apple Notes is really just rich text, yeah. I use Terminal, of course, uh, mostly for Git. All my marketing stuff is lives in a Git repository, uh, for instance. Um, I use Marked a lot when I'm using when I'm writing in BB Edit and I need Markdown previews. I, I I wonder just on that idea of a Git repository for text. You know, I mean, so Git for listeners who are not familiar with it, it's generally it started out life as a way to share programming code, and a lot of programmers use it to have like a database of code, and they can you can I think is the term a deposit or a submission. You can. I forget what they, the exact term of art is, but you can commit code to this repository and then other programmers can see it. The programmers that, that also work with words have kind of taken on this idea. And it's basically a cloud-based storage system where you can track changes very easily without like a traditional word processor. Uh, there's a lot of power in there. I feel like that's something that normal users should be aware of because I feel like it's something that maybe a lot more people than programmers can use, but the only people that actually use it that way are programmers. That's basically true. And yeah, Git is, is super nerdy, uh, super powerful. But, um, and one of the great things about Git is that it, uh, it makes collaboration uh, so much easier. Yeah. Right? Because say you and I were working on the same text file and I changed some stuff at the top and you changed some stuff at the bottom. Well, get smart enough to figure out how to merge those together yeah. rather than, you know, forcing you to resolve that, that conflict. So Git's really good at that kind of thing. Yeah. A lot um, of, a lot of people resort to like Google docs or quip for something like that. Mm -hmm, um, sure. But it doesn't really track a revision history the way you get with Git. I, I feel like there's an opportunity there for someone to make an app to kind of democratize that system where you don't need to be a programmer. You can download an app and push a few buttons and start working with multiple people on, on words. But I, I can't really put my head around it yet, but I, I feel like there's got to be something out there at some point that takes advantage of that for everybody. Uh, you do run into the problem with something like that, though, that you've You've made it simple and democratic enough, but then some number of users are like, well, if you also adopted this one slightly yeah. more powerful feature, and then you yeah, do, no. and then maybe a <laughs> few more of those, and now it's geeky. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, there's no, it's like, how do you balance it? You, you yeah. never, the answer is you never really do. Yeah, that's right. And then, you know, you've added enough of those features and now people are like, wow, your UI is kind of complicated, but there's this brand new competitor that's really simple and I'm yeah. going to switch to them. <laughs> I, I, when I did the uh, Siri shortcuts uh, field guide, the new one, I had a couple of people complain with the first one that I didn't cover enough advanced material. So I... The new one, I added like an hour's worth of advanced material and I released it. And that, that person wrote me back an email after the new one came out and s- complained that I made it too long now. <laughs> like, it's the same person. What am right. I supposed yeah. to do? <laughs> no. Always remember you can't win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I worked at Disneyland, I, you know, uh, sometimes I was a jungle cruise skipper and people would get on the boat and they'd just be angry. And then I, I, after a while I came to the realization that that is their standard for Disneyland. You know, they're just unhappy being there. So I'm just going to let them be unhappy because that is, that is their experience. So that's fine. You know, can't fix them all. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud and get a server up and running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. Linode serve their customers with the help of 10 data centers across the globe, and they're about to add two more. Mumbai, India, and Toronto, Canada will both have new data centers before 2020. Linode's machines feature native SSD storage, 40 gigabit networking, and Intel E5 processors, meaning you're able to serve your customers even faster than before. And you don't have to stress about overspending because Linode has designed their pricing tiers to feature hourly billing. With the added bonus of a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services, such as backups and node balancers. Linode has pricing options to suit everyone. Their plans start at just one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting at 16 gigabytes of RAM. And these servers are really easy to manage. We've been using Linode at RelayFM for a long time, and anytime we need to go check on something or change something, it's a breeze. And Linode has a special offer for you. As a listener of the show, go to linode.com MPU and use the promo code MPU2019 to get $20 towards any Linode plan. On that one gigabyte plan, that's four free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. Give Linode a try today. That's linode.com MPU and the promo code MPU2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linda for their support of this show and Relay FM. Brentnet Newswire was one of one of the earliest third-party apps I installed way back in the day when I kind of became a serious Mac user, and uh, it was you know it was relatively new, and I just remember being blown away that instead of having to go around to the you know eight or ten websites I would read every day, I could put them all in Net Newswire and through the magic of RSS, new articles would just come to me. And I remember being completely enthralled with that idea. And, and now I have an entire company built on the back of RSS. So, you know, things come full circle. And now you, you've you brought it back. So I wonder for, for those who may not know the, the history, uh, what's a little bit of the background of this app and, and kind of where has it been and where is it now? The app has been around the block. Uh, it's traveled the world and now it's come home. I started it in 2002, right after I had left um, uh, Userland Software. 
uh, where I worked with Dave Weiner, who is, I don't know if you would say the inventor or popularizer or refiner of um, RSS and, and podcasting and some other things. Um, and after I left Usland, I really wanted to do something with RSS. And I was torn between, you know, just writing some, maybe some Python scripts for my own use or maybe writing a Mac app. And I decided I would, yeah, I'll try writing a Mac app. Uh, it probably won't do very well, but, you know, I'll give it a go. And um, to my surprise, it did really quite well. And then some years later, a company called NewsGator, which was an RSS company, uh, acquired the app and hired me. So I continued to work on it for a number of years up until 2011, which is when we sold the app from NewsGator to Black Pixel. And they worked on it for a number of years before just last year, giving the name back to me, uh, since I had already been working on a new RSS reader, which I was calling Evergreen. Um, uh, they gave me the name NetNewsWire back, and so I renamed Evergreen to NetNewsWire, and and that's the story. Now, now we've got NetNewsWire 5 out, and we're working on the iOS app. So this is not a um, an updated version of the original NetNewsWire, but a from-scratch from RSS um, newsreader. Absolutely. It really is a 1.0 app uh, in disguise as an ancient 5.0. It must have been fun starting over again, really. I mean, with something you know so much more about now than you did the first time you wrote it. Yeah, it really was. It was it was an opportunity to to use everything I had learned and also use, you know, uh, some of the new tools like um, the Swift programming language um, and, um, you know, to just say to myself, all right, I'm going to do it right this time now that I know stuff and um i yeah the the quality of the app um from you know code all the way up through design and everything else is i think way better than it's ever been in its lifetime it still doesn't have all the features it once had uh but that's okay you got to start start with the basics and um and Uh, i've been working hard to make sure i nail them i'm sure you're getting lots of email about that about features right oh yeah sure yeah, um, mostly not email. It, we have a GitHub repository, and people um, make feature requests there. So it goes right into a, the bug tracker that we have on GitHub. Yeah, um, and yeah, everybody everybody has their things that they want. And yeah, that's cool. It means they're they like the app, they're engaged with it, and they want more out of it. That's you know that's always a great feeling. To my knowledge, this was the first um, RSS app I was ever aware of. Was that a new category when you made it, or or were there other apps like this out there? NetNewsWire was the first native Mac app that was an RSS app. There were other ones. Um, they tended to run in your in your browser, but this was the first of those. You know, hey, it looks kind of like Mail, and it actually is. You know, a, a Mac Cocoa app. Yeah, and for a while it was the only, and that was kind of nice. And then, well, it sure is nice having it back on my Mac. I'll tell you, um, you know, I, uh, it, it, I don't know, it, it, I was a little nostalgic when I ran it for the first time because it was so long ago that I that I had started running this app too. I think I was there at the beginning, and um, and it's just great. I mean, I'm so happy that you were able to get it back out, and it's done as an open source project. Now, what what led to that decision? Well, since I have a day job and the folks at Omni are, you know, it's a great job and they're totally great with me working on this in my spare time. And I'm like, yeah, well, I just want to work on this in my spare time. 
And since that spare time is limited, I don't want to, you know, work out a payment system or, yeah. or even deal with taxes or anything. In yeah. fact, what I'd rather do is work with people who feel like working with me. That would be way more fun. Yeah. And yeah, so that's what I'm doing. Like all, um, all the marketing stuff you're doing for Omni, you don't have to do it for Net Newswire. It's like, right. take it or leave it, gang. I made yeah. it. It's beautiful. It's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I do, you know, I do try to promote it because yeah. part of my goal here is to um, is to get more people using RSS readers in general and try and take away a little bit of the of how everyone uses Twitter and Facebook for all of this because I I don't think they're that great for this for a bunch of different reasons. Um, oh, I I want to talk about that because I I never left the RSS train. But for so long, we heard from people saying, oh, I don't need RSS anymore. I just have Twitter. But but that's true if you – I mean, I think it really ties into this whole digital minimalism movement that's going on now. And the idea of why are you so tied to your phone? Well, if you're reliant on your RSS on Twitter, uh, if you're reliant on Twitter to give you your news, you don't have time to take a break and work on the hard stuff. Because you have to keep up with whatever the news is, right? Yeah. And right. with an RSS reader, you I take days off Twitter. I don't go in Twitter sometimes for two or three days at a time. I'm not as good at it as you are, frankly, and and you know having a, a presence every day. But then I don't catch the news there. But I have an RSS reader. I can open that at any time. Maybe I'll open it every day or once a week. I still get all my news. It's just a great. I think it's so much better as a mechanism. Yeah, and and one thing. Uh about Net Newswire and most RSS readers, there there isn't some kind of shadowy algorithm deciding stuff for you. Yeah. Right? You you know and, and you're not getting stuff shoved in your face that you didn't necessarily ask for. Right. So if I follow somebody and they start retweeting stuff that I seriously don't like on Twitter, that's that's that kind of sucks. But in, in an RSS reader I'm subscribed to this news site and that blog or whatever. And I just get what they publish and that's that's what i wanted and it's um it's nice it's restful now something that has changed since the last time you were working real seriously on this is the the news feed you know colla- you know the collection under engine like so for so long everybody did it through google you know where google mm-hmm. had a free service that would manage your RSS feeds for you. And then you could point any RSS reader at the Google engine and, and get them. Well, Google shut that down when they realized that uh, it made more sense for them to have people go on the internet than to have an RSS feed. People still mourn the loss of Google Reader. Uh, I don't because I thought that the user interface for that app was just horrible and I, I couldn't stand it. Yeah, um, I did have... You know, at the time, NetNewsWire worked with it, so you could do your syncing over Google Reader. Um, but now, now that Google Reader's gone, we have uh, a ton of RSS readers out there. Um, Feedbin and Feedly and InnoReader and Fresh RSS. There's there's a whole lot of different web-based systems. Yeah. Um, so my goal with NetNewsWire is just to add support for all of them. Yeah. At least, you know, as many as possible. Uh, I really... I. I'm not a fan of centralization because, you know, uh, there are a lot of problems with that. So having a whole bunch of different systems, even though it means more work for me, um, I way prefer it. I think that's good. RSS has really transformed in the death of Google Reader into something like email, where you can pick from 
endless providers or even host it yourself if you want and use any number of clients that you want on any devices that you want. And it's up to the the end user to, to make their own decisions about the, the services or companies they want to pay or use and the trade-offs that come with each of them. And I think that it's it's good for the web and good for people who want to consume the web via RSS. That, and we have all these options that Absolutely. You know, when Google was around, they'd sucked all the air out of the and, room. And no single RSS feed service can cripple the industry like Google kind of did when they first said, oh, we're shutting it down. Yeah. See, yeah, that's... I think centralization like that is almost always a mistake. And sometimes the the consequences haven't really happened just yet, or maybe they're not totally visible to everyone, but they it becomes visible. Um, yeah. You know, Twitter and Facebook, I think, are, are really, really huge problems. Not everyone agrees yet, but I think we'll, we'll see that more and more. Yeah. In my head, I think of it kind of like gravity. The more reliant you become on a service the further the eggs are going to fall if they shut it down. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and I, I don't like that. I, I don't like being too dependent. I know that I guess Apple's kind of famous for not wanting to be dependent on outside vendors for making their products, which is why they internalize so much. I, um, I don't want to be reliant on third-party systems to make my work happen. And, right, sure. and whenever I do pick one, I always pick one that I feel like well, if they went away, could I export my data? Could I move to a different platform? You know, and that I guess that's that's true for RSS as well. Yeah, and it's not just if they went away. If you feel like you need to leave them, for yeah. instance, right? Yeah. Like if you if you look at Facebook and you say their security lapses and ethical and moral issues are such that I can't be associated with them, you know, is it feasible to leave? And I think that's something you need to ask about everything. Um, you mentioned that this uh, iteration of NetNewsWire is open source. So you are not the only developer working on it. You have other people who are contributing code, contributing features. How does the management of that look? Uh, what what are you using, uh, either GitHub or beyond, to sort of manage that? And, and just the community of people who are now contributing to it. Like, What does that look like? And how is it different from when you were the... Well, it's always fun to be a one-man band in a way because, you know, you're responsible for everything. Every single line of code is yours. Everything about the app is yours. And working with other people, um, it it really changes that. But I knew I wanted to work with other people because that's fun and rewarding in in its own ways. Um, And so the way we're doing it is we have a a Slack group with a number of different rooms. um, And we have GitHub. And we have um, on GitHub, we have the issues tracker and I can create milestones and decide what's going to happen when. And other than that, I'm basically kind of making it up as I go along. I, I've never done this kind of management before. And so, you know, I'm just trying <laughs> to do my best to make sure that people are uh, working on stuff that they're happy to work on. And um, it, it's my responsibility to make sure that uh, the quality of the app is always there, that it's always fast, that the design is good, that it doesn't crash. You know all those things because in the end it it's you know it still reads as net newswire by brent simmons even though we have a team so i've got to make sure all that stuff stuff is upheld and you know basically i just i talk things over i uh, often try to find consensus and then ignore it or not <laughs> um 
So, so the idea of having something that starts out as a hobby or a passion that turns into a way to make a living, but then later turns back into a passion or a hobby. Yeah. What, what surprised you about that third step? I think what surprised me is how much I've been enjoying this even more than, than the old days when it was, you know, my job. And um, it was great, you know, having a thing that I just made and that uh, became a hit app and, and did well for me financially. And that was, that was a thrill. And, um, you know, seeing all the people who loved it and uh, communicating with them, that was, that was great. But this, this is even better. And part of it's because, you know, I'm a more mature person. Um, I know how to make apps. I'm better at making apps in various ways than ever before. Uh, but a lot of it is just having really great people to work with and, um, you know, and seeing what they bring. And um, that's, you know, it's just so much fun. It's beyond even what I thought it would be. Also, you know what? You've got a few more years under your belt and you probably just don't get hung up on it like you used to. That's true, too. I, I re can remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, spending a week on getting a, a gradient just right. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you know, and it would just go from, you know, medium gray to a slightly lighter gray. But like, <laughs> I would just oh, go back and forth for, for so long. Um, these days, I'm like, no, that looks good. And, you know, and just move on, you know. Well where, where are you on that spectrum, Stephen? I, I, I'm suspecting you're still probably spending a few days on the gradient. Yeah, yeah. No, guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give it some time, brother. Just give it some time. <laughs> I mean, I can see even in the five years of doing Relay, that shift that, that yeah. happens to all of us. But you know, some things are harder to let go of than others. So it's a, it's a metaphorical <laughs> gradient. Right, days. sure. You know, we, we all want to do like the very best thing, but there are some decisions you, you reach a certain level of wisdom where you're like, well, actually A and B are both pretty good and either one's fine. So just flip a coin and move on. Right. You know, and it's kind of, it's learning right. which decisions are those versus which ones really are critical uh, is part, part of what comes with experience. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Direct Mail. Create and send great-looking email newsletters with Direct Mail. It's an easy-to-use email marketing app designed exclusively for the Mac. Email marketing works, and Direct Mail is the application built for your Mac that lets you create and send great-looking email newsletters. Email marketing is still an incredibly cost-effective way to reach your customers and grow your business. And for the past 15 years, Mac users around the world have trusted the Direct Mail app to handle all of their email marketing needs. It's designed just for the Mac, which means it's fast and easy to use and works great with the other apps and services you already use. With Direct Mail, you can quickly and easily compose high-quality emails that look great on mobile and desktop. You can grow your mailing list by creating email sign-up forms that you can add to your website or Facebook page, and you can save time by integrating over 1,000 other apps and services on your Mac and the web. Best of all, Direct Mail has real human live chat customer support available to answer your questions. And Direct Mail is the number one top-rated email marketing app for the Mac with five-star reviews on the App Store, GetApp, and elsewhere. 
and it's trusted by small businesses, nonprofits, schools, and even Fortune 500 companies alike. Direct Mail is free to download and get started. Listeners of this podcast can save 10% off all of their future pricing plans. Just head over to directmailmac.com slash MPU to check it out. That's directmailmac.com slash MPU to get 10% off when you opt for a full feature plan. Our thanks to Direct Mail for their support of the Mac Power Users. So, so hand in hand with Net Newswire and consuming RSS is blogging, sort of the, the other side of the coin. You have written at anessential.com for I don't I don't even know how long. As long as I can remember, I've read it for years. And one thing I, I love about your writing is that it it's it is very it seems very authentic that talking to you here, talking to you at WBC, reading your blog, it's it's all the same thing. It's the same Brent Simmons, no matter where you are. And uh for those who, who look at blogging as something that may be old-fashioned compared to something like Twitter or Facebook, I, I feel like you don't agree with that. Uh, what keeps you blogging almost every day? And if someone's looking to get started, where would you point them? So my blog will be 20 years old this month. Congratulations. I've been doing a long time. Thank you. Yeah. And it's funny, at the time when I started, I thought, oh, I, I guess I'm pretty late to this, but uh, I might as well do it anyway. <laughs> 20 years later, I'm still doing mm-hmm. it. So it's another one of those things where... It may be a personality flaw that just ends up looking good. I'm just kind of compelled to keep communicating. You know, I just, I have things, I have to write them up. I have to hit publish. It would be harder to stop myself. You know, it's never hard to continue. That's that's the easy part. Uh, Stopping would be difficult. Uh, Hopefully I never do. So if you're, if you want to get started with blogging, um, Honestly, I think Microdot blog is a really good place to start because it's it's pretty simple and there's a, an attached uh, social network, so it makes it easier to see people engaged with what you're doing, um, and that's good. A lot of people like you know some kind of feedback uh, when they're blogging. Um, it's harder to just put stuff out and have faith that somebody is finding it. Um, it. It's nice to get some feedback, so that's that's where I would send people. And this is a service for those who aren't familiar with it that uh, our friend Matt and Reese has put together. And it is, I think micro.blog is, is a little confusing on the surface of it because it kind of looks like Twitter to a degree, but then it also kind of doesn't. So if you could give people the elevator pitch for why that's where they should start, what would it be? Micro.blog really is kind of two things. One is um, just think of it as, you know, it's a blogging platform. You write a post, it goes on your blog just like with any other blog, you know, and it's on the web and, and there you go. Um, but attached to that is also um, the ability to follow other people's blogs in a way where the user interface kind of looks like Twitter. So you just have, you know, a long list of, you know, stuff, new stuff comes in at the top as other people write stuff and you can also reply to them. Uh, so, it has both of those aspects, um, but it's almost entirely based on RSS. So it's using, you know, open standards and protocols, and it really works um, with the web rather than uh, against it. It's not a closed off walled garden silo or anything. It's, I like that a ton. And you don't have to run out and pay for hosting somewhere, run your own server. It's sort of an all-in-one. Um, now, it does work if you have a blog hosted elsewhere. You can still take part in the 
in the social networking part of this too. So it's open and you can kind of plug into it in different ways. But if you're just looking for a place to start writing a blog, uh, I'd say set one up there. It's pretty easy. You know, we started the show off uh, giving Apple a hard time about laptop keyboards, but uh, you've been a Mac user for a long time and you've seen ups and downs over the years. How would you grade the Mac currently and, and how do you, what do you see the trajectory of the Mac in the, in the future? Hmm. Well, speaking of keyboards, um, on my iMac at home, I'm still using a Apple keyboard from 1995. Does the S key still work? Yes, it does. There it's, you go. It's an amazing keyboard. It's the right. Apple Extended Keyboard Two. <laughs> yeah. um, so my, uh, yeah, it, it is. So you know, best keyboard ever made. Compared to that, no, no keyboard stands out. I, I'm actually surprised Stephen isn't like using one of those. You know, and you need like four, you need like four dongles or something to make it work, right? It's like you just need one dongle, but uh, unless you have USB C, then I guess in case you need two. No, RSI did that in for me. The key travel I can't do anymore, but I typed on one every day for yeah. a long, long time. Every version of NetNewsWire ever has been written on on this one keyboard. Different Macs, but yeah. same keyboard. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. In fact, in the same room in the same house. <laughs> so that's the uh, that's the NetNewsWire room. Yes, absolutely. One, one day the museum will be right that room. <laughs> But the future of the Mac, I don't know. I, I'm not super good at that particular kind of punditry. I, I, don't, I don't know. I know what I'd like it to be, which is basically this type of interaction has, has been pretty well thought out and refined. And, um, you know, it, can, it could stand to have incremental improvements, but I, I never stopped loving it. You know, I never stopped being able to get my work done using Macs. So I just... Kind of want to keep having Macs. Yeah. Um, keep polishing. You know, I, yeah. yeah. Right. I don't. I don't. I don't want to touch my screen. <laughs> you know. I want to use my mouse and my keyboard and trackpad. And I like the precision of it. I like the fact that I can really fly around and be super productive on a Mac. And yeah, I want to keep it that way. As a developer, though, there have been a ton of changes, right? When when you started the Net Newswire project, you know, Coco was sort of the new hotness, but now we have Swift and Swift UI and Catalyst, all these other technologies that have come along. Does that change the way that you think about the future of, of net newswire? You, you said that you've uh, implemented Swift into it. I, th I think you've said elsewhere that you've played with Swift UI, but you know, are you building things now that you think, Oh gosh, this is only going to be around for a mm. little while. Like how do you, well, how do you try to map that out in your work? So I, I've always tried to, be modern, right? Using the latest modern tools, um, you know, adopt uh, adopt new technologies as quickly as possible, uh, and that hasn't changed. You know, I you know I may be in my fifties, but I'm not like, and I may love Macs, but I'm not a curmudgeon about this stuff. I'm, in fact, I'm very pro, you know, using what's new and getting getting to learn it and everything. Um, so NetNewsWire is almost entirely written in Swift, except for some really old bits. Um, we did try using Swift UI, but it's too soon for that to, um, to fit all our needs. So we ended up having to back off. Uh, but hopefully next year we'll be able to use it. Um, okay. You know, and if we have to rewrite some code so that we can use Swift UI, yeah, we probably would. Um, because part of the deal with the project is, is staying modern and having fun with it. So. You know, I would, I would trash some perfectly good working code in, in favor of using new stuff sometimes. 
totally fine. Um, but the Mac app is still based on AppKit. Uh, it's not a Catalyst app. And I think that AppKit is going to be around for uh, quite some while, even if it, even if it ends up not being the dominant way that Mac apps are made at some point in the future. Uh, it's still going to be supported long enough um, that that's the way to go right now, uh, at least for me. So I'm happy doing that. Um, now, you know, someday may come where Apple signals that they're going to deprecate it and you should be using uh, something else. But hopefully that something else is more uh, Swift UI rather than um, uh, just essentially writing an iOS app and running it on your Mac. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. Either way, I, uh, I plan to be here and staying modern and doing what it takes. It seems like Swift UI is the clear direction they want to go eventually. So. But it's yeah. still also pretty rough around the edges from what I've been hearing. Yeah, and there's there's just a whole lot of it's not designed to handle yet. And um, so, you know, it's it's really early days for that. But it looks like a good uh, good direction for the future. And it's it's really uh, one way I look at it is Swift UI is the first thing to come out of Apple besides Swift in its new Swift era. And Catalyst is really from the Objective C era, right? UI Kit is still um, you know Objective C like descends from Next technology, uh, whereas Swift UI is brand new, not nothing to do with Next. Mm -hmm. It's um, you know entirely created at at App Post um, Next world. So it looks like the future to me. It's like, um, you know, Catalyst is like the Band-Aid, the short-term solution. Sure. Whereas mm -hmm. Swift UI is the long-term. And that, that would be great. I mean, if you can get in Swift UI, I could foresee a future where NetNewsWire gets to all the Apple platforms very easily. I mean, there's a lot of good reasons for it. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and it may not be the case that you would actually run the exact same code on Mac and iOS, but... Um, you would run maybe very similar code. And regardless, SwiftUI ought to make doing user interface programming uh, easier and better. Yeah. Because user interface programming is still just a boring slog. I mean, it's, I mean, it sounds like it might be the most fun part, but it's really not. <laughs> most developers will agree it's, it's just, it's just kind of awful. So SwiftUI makes, SwiftUI makes that better, then we will all be super glad. All right, so every uh, guest on MPU often has a few favorite apps or services that they use to get their work done. Sometimes they're little-known apps nobody's ever heard of. Sometimes maybe they're big apps everybody's heard of, but I always like to share a couple. Are there any apps on iOS or Mac that bring you particular delight? One is uh, Acorn by Gus Mueller. Uh, it's an image editor, Yeah, um, and it's, it's on a Mac. And I don't have to use it every day necessarily but you know i'll I, i've got screenshots or or um dog pictures or something that i need to get ready for the web uh, so i'll use it once or twice a week and it's it, it works really really nicely it's um it's easy to learn easy to use and does exactly what i needed to do and um and i've been using it for years um, you know i'm not a i'm not a heavy graphics person but i think acorn could handle a lot more than what I need from it, but it does what I need. That's a good one. A lot of Mac Power users are Acorn users. Hmm. Cool. Any others? Uh, let's see. I mentioned micro.blog. That's, yeah. that's such a great thing. Um, we've talked a bit about GitHub. GitHub is an amazing service um, for developers. And I think all developers already know that already. 
One of the apps you had mentioned when we were talking earlier was Flume, and that's an, an app I had never heard of. Oh, yeah, right. That's um, So part of my job, again, is, is social media at Omni. And so we post to Facebook, Twitter, micro.blog, uh, LinkedIn even, uh, but also Instagram. And that's really just a pain because I'm posting to everything else uh, on my Mac through their browser-based UI or whatever. And, um, but Instagram, there's just no way to do that unless you use Flume, uh, which is an app that does some kind of trickery, maybe user agent spoofing or something uh, to get Instagram to work inside a Mac app. And from there, I can post videos and pictures and whatever. And so I use that a few times a week. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly makes it a lot easier than trying to get the photo over on iOS and you know, doing all the things there. Yeah, but you're going to be an iPad power user next week. So yeah, yeah well, that really so, won't yeah. help you with Instagram, will it? No, it won't. <laughs> That's a good point. I don't know why they're so resistant to that. It seems silly. Yeah, truly. Well, Brent Simmons, I, for one, am so happy that NetNewsWire is back in active development and that you are the person behind it. Uh, congratulations on releasing it and uh, this new little hobby of yours involving <laughs> computer programming. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, it really is. Oh, it's such a thrill. I'm, I love that, you know, I'm in the, eh, call it the last third of my career and I'm getting to have more fun now than, than ever. That's just, it's wonderful. Yeah, it, it, there is something to be said for that, like getting, you know, past the halfway mark, but feeling like you still got a lot of gas in the tank and, and you're making some of your best stuff, right? I yeah, feel, I absolutely. feel the same way. It's just, it's, it makes you jump out of bed in the mornings and yeah, I can tell right. you do the same. The, um, and, and also congratulations with what you're doing at Omni and, um, and, you know, just as a member of the community, I want to thank you for bringing NetNewsWire to us. And honestly, you were just part of that whole kind of programming ethic at the beginning on the Mac about making an app where you spent a week worried about the gradient and setting a standard that I think still resonates on Mac apps and iOS apps and kind of all the way down the platforms. Uh, I mean, you were part of that vanguard. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and. You know, I learned it from the people who came before me. Yeah. Right? This is, you know, if you're a Mac developer, this is what you do. This is how it works. It's your calling. Where should folks go to find you, Brent? Well, uh, my blog is inessential.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Brent Simmons. All right. And um, gang, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can join the forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. Thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, Smile, Linode, and Direct Mail. And we'll see you all next week. 